Ladies and gentlemen, the following segment of the podcast is presented exclusively by Hillsdale College. For over 175 years, four purposes have defined Hillsdale's mission, learning, character, faith, and freedom. Thank you for listening and my sincere appreciation to our brothers and sisters at Hillsdale for their great sponsorship. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Number 877-381-3811, Well, the Supreme Court ruled today, mostly right but partly wrong, in the vaccination mandate case, actually more than one case. Now, the employer mandate was a 63 vote. All the leftists of court dissented. Uh, they have no problem with the plenary power of the centralized bureaucracy, but the rest of us do. Uh, Six to three, Roberts, the Chief Justice, Brett Kavanaugh, uh, Barrett, and the others voted the right way. But then there's the vote in the health care case. In other words, they said OSHA does not have the authority to be issuing mandates, and that the uh, executive branch can't do that through an administrative agency. I mean, these are far-reaching mandates. And OSHA didn't have the statutory authority to do it. And the administration could have gone to Congress to see if they could get support from Congress. If they can't, they can. If they can, they can. But in the health care case, the vote was 5 to 4. 5 to 4, with Chief Justice Roberts and Brett Kavanaugh voting with the leftists. Basically saying, if you're an institution that receives Medicare or Medicaid, and there is that federal connection, therefore, uh, you can be forced to be vaccinated as a mandate. I reject this completely. Absolutely and utterly. And obviously, Kavanaugh and Roberts felt they needed to cut the baby in half, and that's what they did. That's what they did. So 84 million workers are no longer covered by this 
illegal mandate. Unfortunately, those of you who are in the healthcare field, working at hospitals and so forth, you're still smothered by this unconstitutional mandate. But it does see Biden loses more than he wins when he goes to federal court on a whole host of matters, whether it's immigration or mandates and so forth, because they're so extreme, that is, this administration, they they operate so far outside the box uh, that other than these Obama and Biden appointees on these district courts and these circuit courts, uh, rational individuals who've been uh, made judges, Uh, understand that this really cannot stand. And so we will take a little bit more time discussing this in Hour 2 with Senator Mike Lee, who's really led the charge on the legislative side against these mandates, and we'll discuss this case with him in the next hour. Now, there's a lot more to discuss. Uh, We have this series of indictments now brought by the Department of Justice, charges against the Oath Keepers including the individual who heads the Oath Keepers and founded the Oath Keepers. Um, DOJ charges Oath Keepers with seditious conspiracy. As our friend Mark Tapscott writes over at Instapundit.com, interestingly, the Department of Justice announcement describes the charges with reference to the statute's inclusion of efforts to oppose or delay execution of a law. Not its reference, quote, to conspire to overthrow, put down, or to destroy by force the government of the United States, or to levy war against them. I'm just pointing out, and he's pointing out, the part of the statute they're using, again, is the statute's inclusion of efforts to oppose or delay the execution of the law, not to conspire to overthrow, put down, or to destroy by force the government of the United States, or levy war against them. So it's still not an insurrection, just so you understand. Mark, you're so technical. No, I'm telling you the truth. But as Tapscott points out, but watch, the mainstream media and Schumer-Pelosi crowd will frame it rhetorically as if the defendants are being charged with conspiracy to overthrow the government. Nobody's been charged yet with the conspiracy to overthrow the government. If there was such a charge, uh, the entire Democrat Party would have a problem. We'd have to put a crime tape around the uh, Congress and the DNC, not to mention the media. So I wanted to point that out as well. We've always said here that uh, if you commit acts of violence, you have to pay a price for it. CNN reported the Justice Department escalated its January 6th investigation by bringing seditious conspiracy charges against 11 defendants including the leader of the Oath Keepers, Stuart Rhodes. Remember, they're just charged, too, by the way. The latest accusations with a charge that had not previously been brought in the department's U.S. Capitol attack prosecutions remove any sense that prosecutors believe the riot emerged from just a group of overzealous protesters with new details about the planning and logistics alleged to have predated the Capitol breach. Now, just wait a minute. There are these groups... And I don't believe anybody's denied that there are these groups that conduct themselves this way. But to make the leap about that these were overzealous protesters, the vast majority of people, the overwhelming majority of people, were protesters, some of whom were overzealous. They were not all members of the Oath Keepers. 
But CNN just can't report the news flat out. Hannah Rabinowitz, Caitlin Palance, Tierney Sneed, and Holmes, Lebrand, one, two, it took four of them to read the, uh, the indictment sheet. The Department of Justice until now have been careful not to push the idea of sedition, instead charging defendants affiliated with right-wing groups with conspiracy to obstruct the congressional proceeding on January 6th. The seditious conspiracy charge carries the same possible consequence as an obstruction charge, but is rarely used, politically loaded, and has been difficult for DOJ to use successfully against defendants in the past. Well, they're going to get to use them again. This time, though, they have a... Uh, a bunch of judges who are very, very sympathetic to the Department of Justice position. The new indictment brings to light planning. The Oath Keepers are accused to have done ahead of the Capitol attack, as they alleged recruited members, stocked up on weapons, and organized to disrupt Congress's certification of the 2020 election. Prosecutors say they also continue to plot to oppose by force and lawful transfer of presidential power after the Capitol riot failed to block the Electoral College vote. And again, this is what the Department of Justice is charging. And again, I want to point out to you, they are not charging them to conspire to overthrow, put down, or to destroy by force the government of the United States or to levy war against them. And yet we still don't know what Nancy Pelosi did to secure that building. We still don't know. Now, the timing of this is very interesting to me. It's been over a year, right? Now we have this Stalinist committee led by Benny Hill Thompson and Liz Unhinged Cheney. And they're busy leaking texts out about Sean Hannity and other people. I guess just to try and smear them or embarrass them, but they haven't done either, considering what's in the texts. You have Adam Schiff, who's back to his old tricks, who is changing quote-unquote evidence and pushing it out there, he should be losing, of course, his uh, law license. But all that said, isn't the timing weird to you? It's weird to me. Why does it take so long to bring these charges, these particular charges, against the Oath Keepers? Why is that taking so long? goes on. One Oath Keeper claimed to travel to Washington for a scouting trip ahead of January 6th, according to the indictment. The new court filings also detail accusations that defendants stashed weapons at a Virginia hotel and that they were prepared to rapidly transport firearms and other weapons to Washington to support efforts to stop roads. I, I, I don't know uh, to stop the count. I don't understand something. But actually, that never was executed, was it, Mr. Medusa? There wasn't a stash of weapons brought into the Capitol building and used. There wasn't. Then uh, Rhodes, the head of the Oath Keepers, complains about Trump. He writes, all I see Trump doing is complaining. I see no intent by him to do anything. So the patriots are taking it into their own hands. They've had enough. He allegedly said on signal at 1.38 p.m. that day, shortly after the siege had begun. It, now, isn't that interesting? Now, what's interesting about that? 
that clearly demonstrates Donald Trump has no role. We already knew it, but there's just overwhelming evidence. No role in what this group or anybody else did on the Capitol building. None. Let me quote you again. This is in the indictment. All I see Trump doing is complaining. I see no intent by him to do anything. So the patriots are taking it into their own hands. They've had enough. He allegedly said on signal at 1.38 p.m. that day, shortly after the siege had begun, writes CNN. So Trump's not in touch with these people. He has no idea what they're doing. They're frustrated with Trump because he's taken no action. Shouldn't this be the headline? Shouldn't this be the headline? Of course. Of course. They were planning to use force, perhaps weapons, but apparently they didn't use weapons, did they? But isn't this the point? While the Oath Keepers may applaud it, and this has to be proven, okay? They were indicted by a grand jury. They haven't had their day in court. But whatever the outcome, here's the point. All I see, quote, Trump doing is complaining. I see no intent by him to do anything. Case closed. No, 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 no. We have to have texts from Sean Hannity. No, no, no. We have to have texts from people who weren't even there or weren't even on the staff. Like Sebastian Gorka, we have to have his. Well, what did he have to do then? Nothing, but we want to look. And I can go down a whole list. This is why this committee has more information that's actually helpful, supportive of Donald Trump that it's making known to you and me. And so does the Department of Justice. And so does the Department of Justice. This is why they settle on language on this committee, this Stalinist committee on dereliction of duty because he didn't do enough. And yet it's Nancy Pelosi who was derelict because she was in charge. And she didn't do a damn thing. She even turned down the National Guard. So read these things for yourself, folks, as I do. Read them for yourself. This doesn't condemn Donald Trump. This doesn't condemn the hundreds of thousands of people who were on Capitol Hill that day. This condemns 11 people. And they're frustrated because Trump's not taking any action. Trump's not taking... Pay attention to me, media, you clowns, you morons. Pay attention. Quote, all I see Trump doing is complaining. I see no intent by him to do anything. Unquote, writes the head of the Oath Keepers when the Capitol's under attack. And when Donald Trump told people to peacefully assemble, subsequent to him offering the National Guard to protect the building, what kind of dereliction of duty is this? I'll be right back. My friends, I know you love freedom and want to defend it. And I know you love the Constitution. Well, so do I. And it's the same with Hillsdale College, the best liberal arts college in America. 
Hillsdale's mission is pursuing truth and defending liberty. It gives its undergraduate and graduate students the best education, and it is working to make this education available to all. But today, I want to tell you about Hillsdale's free monthly speech digest of liberty. It's called Imprimus. Over 6 million households and businesses receive Imprimus for free every month, and you can join them by subscribing at levinforhillsdale.com. There are no strings attached. Generous donors who love free to make it possible for Hillsdale to send Imprimus to you for free. Imprimus is one of my favorite publications. It's short, smart, useful, and fun. Start receiving your own free copy of this great digest of liberty. Visit levinforhillsdale.com. That's L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. levinforhillsdale.com. If the Pelosi-Stalin committee has any evidence, any shred of any evidence of Donald Trump's fingerprints on January 6th, let's see it. Let's see it now. They have enough information. They said they want to do an interim report. Now, you know if they've had it, they would leak it by now. Where is it? The Department of Justice doesn't have anything. Nothing. Even under this politicized regime. They don't have a damn thing. If they had anything, they would have leaked it by now. Instead, we get the Oath Keepers. I don't know what the Oath Keepers are, but whatever it is, it is. The Oath Keepers. The head of the Oath Keepers, frustrated with Donald Trump for not taking action. Now, I'll tell you what else is interesting. Let me read this to you again. This is from the Department of Justice. It's in a CNN report. CNN report by way of the Department of Justice indicting documents. Quote, all I see Trump doing is complaining. I see no intent by him to do anything, Rhodes allegedly wrote. So the patriots are taking it into their own hands. They've had enough, he allegedly said on signal at 1.38 p.m. that day, shortly after the siege had begun. Now what's interesting also about this is it says, quick reaction force teams were prepared to rapidly transform firearms and other weapons into Washington, D.C. in support of operations aimed at using force to stop the lawful transfer of presidential power. This is a very strangely worded indictment. They were prepared to rapidly transport firearms and other weapons into Washington. Did they do that? If they did it, wouldn't they say they did it, Mr. Producer? Wouldn't we know about these weapons in the Capitol building and the use of the weapons? Again, I don't know what this group is. I'm just trying to read between the lines, which you're not allowed to do. You know, you just salute and move on. Just very, very odd wording to me. I'll be right back. My friends, I know you love freedom and want to defend it. And I know you love the Constitution. Well, so do I. And it's the same with Hillsdale College, the best liberal arts college in America. Hillsdale's mission is pursuing truth and defending liberty. It gives its undergraduate and graduate students the best education, and it is working to make this education available to all. But today, I want to tell you about Hillsdale's free monthly speech digest of liberty. It's called Imprimus. Over 6 million households and businesses receive Imprimus for free every month. And you can join them by subscribing at levinforhillsdale.com. 
There are no strings attached. Generous donors who love freedom make it possible for Hillsdale to send in Primus to you for free. And Primus is one of my favorite publications. It's short, smart, useful, and fun. Start receiving your own free copy of this great digest of liberty. Visit levinforhillsdale.com. That's L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. Levinforhillsdale.com. Mark Levin, making conservatism great again. Dial in now, 877-381-3811. On January 6th, as I read further, prosecutors have alleged the Oath Keepers stationed themselves around the D.C. area, some near the Capitol, others providing security, and a third group waiting across the river in a Virginia hotel with a cache of weapons. At the Capitol, some members moved in a military stack formation into the Capitol where they fought with police, and a small group unsuccessfully looked for House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, according to court documents. So this will all play out in court. Boy, what a bunch of kooks these guys are, by the way. What a bunch of whack jobs. And so I have no problem with the law enforcement tracking this down. I have no problem with them bringing a case and I have no problem with this going to court where the matter should be litigated and due process respected. Some of these judges, however, in Washington, D.C. have shown their hand and are very hostile to our Bill of Rights. But these guys, really, if, if this is the case, it's really quite appalling. And then I wonder... If you had people who were in three different locations, I'm just trying to think this out, three different locations, and some of them were battling the police on that day, some of them were in a hotel, and so forth, wouldn't you need more than 11, Mr. Producer? I'm just sitting here trying to use common sense. Okay, if I'm a prosecutor or an investigator, I'm sitting at 11, are there going to be more who are charged? On January 6th, the allegation is Oath Keepers stationed themselves around the D.C. area. Now, there's 11 of them who have charged. Some near the Capitol, others providing security in a third group waiting across the river in a Virginia hotel with a cache of weapons. At the Capitol, some members moved in a military stack formation into the Capitol where they fought with police. Well, how many did that? Not all 11. And as I say, are there others? I don't doubt that they did. I'm just wondering. I'm curious. And uh, so some attacked the police. Well, what's it say here? It says some moved in a military stack formation into the Capitol where they fought with police. A small group unsuccessfully looked for House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, and then according to court documents, then there was this third group. Three groups out of 11, that's about three and a half people. So it'll be interesting to know more as this goes throughout the day. Now, we now know more about the Oath Keepers. Not enough, but we now know more about the Oath Keepers than we know about what Black Lives Matter was doing and Antifa does. Would be nice if we could know what all of them are doing. Seems to me. But these are 11 people. 
not half a million people, not a quarter of a million people, not a million people. That's what they are. Seems to me the building needed proper security as well. So we look at this, and I go back to the beginning. The head of this organization, some kind of militia, I guess. He's really frustrated with Trump because Trump's not taking any action. All I see Trump doing is complaining. I see no intent by him to do anything. Because he didn't do anything. And he specifically told people to be peaceful. And even before he finished his speech, uh, the building was breached. So let's remember all these things. Now the fact that with you, I'm exploring this, because it just dropped tonight, means that I will be attacked because I'm exploring it. There's still some gaps to me in all of this. For instance, it suggests they were armed to the teeth. And they had this rapid response team ready. But nobody was shot by the Oath Keepers or whatever this group is as far as we know. Nobody was shot. Nobody was stabbed. Nobody was slashed. But they were armed to the teeth. By the way, that worries me a lot. So again, don't get me wrong, but I'm trying to figure out when they talk about the breaching of the Capitol, it's not like 1954 where five members of the House were shot. It's not like 1971 where the Weather Underground actually blew up part of the Capitol. Now, you're not allowed to just gather weapons, I take it, uh, for the intent of doing grave harm. And so it'll be interesting that what they're, they're charged with these uh, sedition. Charged with sedition. But based on what they've said, and based on what I've read to you, Mark Tapscott over at Instapundent is exactly right. The charges, with reference to the statute's inclusion of efforts to oppose or delay execution of a law, not its reference to conspire to overthrow, put down, or to destroy by force the government of the United States or to levy war against them. So if they have this massive cache of weapons, if they have this special hit team, or whatever they called it, why weren't they charged? To conspire to overthrow, put down, or to destroy by force the government of the United States, because that seems to be the fact pattern that they're laying out without the actual charge being brought. You see what I'm saying, Mr. Producer? This is all going to have to be sorted out. Now, that aside, now let's look at the politics. We have nut jobs everywhere. Nut jobs like the Oath Keepers, nut jobs like Black Lives Matter, nut jobs. But we also have them in the media and in politics. Nut jobs. And so... What they'll do, of course, is say this proves everything. This proves about Donald Trump, even though there's language in the indictment that, in my view, disproves. Clearly. And the members of this committee, like Adam Schiff with the impeachment, they know that Donald Trump didn't do anything. Didn't do anything affirmative to encourage an attack on that building. Or we'd know about it. Or they'd quote it. 
They know it. All right, let's move on. The filibuster. Again, more on the Democrat Party and the American Marxist efforts to fundamentally destroy our republic. Tom Cotton went onto the floor of the Senate yesterday, and he had these words to say. Now, it's several minutes, but it's worth listening to. Cut one, go. Right now, we are on the precipice of a constitutional crisis. We're about to step into the abyss. I want to talk for a few minutes why we're on that precipice and why we're looking into that abyss. Let me first ask a fundamental question. What is the crisis that calls for the undoing of two centuries of tradition? Are senators merely doing their jobs as legislators, responding to a generalized public calling for the abolition of the filibuster? Clearly not. It is not the American people at large who are demanding detonation of the nuclear option. The nuclear option is being pushed largely by the radioactive rhetoric of a small band of radicals who hold in their hands the political fortunes of the president. Constitutional scholars will tell us that the reason we have these rules in the Senate, unlimited debate, two-thirds to change the rules, the idea that 60 have to close off debate, is embodied in the spirit and rule of the Constitution. That is what the Constitution is all about, and we all know it. It is the Senate where the Founding Fathers established a repository of checks and balances. It's not like the House of Representatives, where the majority leader or the speaker can snap his fingers and get what he wants on important issues the Founding Fathers wanted, and they were correct in my judgment that the slimmest majority should not always govern. The Senate is not a majoritarian body. The bottom line is very simple. The ideologues in the Senate want to turn the Founding Fathers, what the Founding Fathers called the cooling saucer of democracy, into a rubber stamp of dictatorship. They will make this country into a banana republic where if you don't get your way, you change the rules. Are we going to let them? It will be a doomsday for democracy if we do. I, for one, hope and pray that it will not come to this. But I assure my colleagues, at least speaking for this senator, I will do everything I can to prevent the nuclear option from being invoked, not for the sake of myself or my party, but for the sake of this great republic and its traditions. Those are powerful words, but they're not mine. Every word of my speech today was originally spoken by our esteemed colleague, the senior senator from New York, Chuck Schumer. Senator Schumer spoke so eloquently in defense of the Senate's rules, customs, and traditions 
when the fortunes of his party looked a little different. My, how times have changed. Now it's Senator Schumer's fingers that are hovering over the nuclear button, ready to destroy the Senate for partisan advantage. Think about it. The narrowest majority in Senate history wants to break the Senate rules to control how voters in every state elect senators. Could there be a better argument to preserve the Senate's rules, customs, and traditions? So before it's too late, let us reflect on the wise and eloquent words of Senator Schumer. Words that are as true today as they were when he spoke them, even if Senator Schumer is singing a different tune today. That was brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. And most of the media totally ignored it. Because Schumer is intellectually corrupt. He's one of the most dishonest scoundrels in politics and always has been. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. My friends, I know you love freedom and want to defend it. And I know you love the Constitution. Well, so do I. And it's the same with Hillsdale College, the best liberal arts college in America. Hillsdale's mission is pursuing truth and defending liberty. It gives its undergraduate and graduate students the best education. And it is working to make this education available to all. But today, I want to tell you about Hillsdale's free monthly speech digest of liberty. It's called Imprimus. Over 6 million households and businesses receive Imprimus for free every month. And you can join them by subscribing at levinforhillsdale.com. There are no strings attached. Generous donors who love freedom make it possible for Hillsdale to send Imprimus to you for free. Imprimus is one of my favorite publications. It's short, smart, useful, and fun. Start receiving your own free copy of this great digest of liberty. Visit levinforhillsdale.com. That's L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. levinforhillsdale.com. All right, let's jump to Jim Jordan on the floor of the House today, listing the Democrat hypocrisies. Cut 11, go. The Democrats have objected to counting the presidential electors every single time this century a a Republican's been elected president. They spent four years trying to overturn the 2016 election. Democrats spied on a presidential campaign. They did impeachment in secret based on a so-called whistleblower whose identity only Congressman Schiff got to know. This Congress, they have closed the Capitol enacted proxy voting, kicked Republicans off committee, and for the first time in American history, denied Republicans seats on a select committee that was chosen by the minority leader. They're trying to make D.C. a state, end the Electoral College, end the filibuster, pack the court, destroy executive privilege, take federal control of elections, and are currently allowing in jurisdictions illegal immigrants to vote. And finally, the January 6th committee has altered evidence and lied to the American people about it. But somehow they tell us it's President Trump and Republicans who are undermining democracy? Give me a break. Undermining democracy because we actually think you should show a photo ID when you go to vote? In one year's time, in one year's time, while Democrats are doing all that, in one year's time they've given us record crime, record inflation, record illegal immigration. And as bad as all that is, it's not the worst. 
The worst is how they've used the virus to attack our freedoms, how they've used the virus to attack our First Amendment rights. And here's the irony. They use the virus to attack our liberties, even though everything they have told us about the virus has been wrong. They told us it didn't come from a lab. They told us it wasn't gain-of-function research. They told us it was only 15 days to slow the spread. They told us masks work. They told us we have a federal plan. Joe Biden said that himself. They told us there would never be a vaccine mandate. They told us vaccinate, people who get vaccinated can't give the, get the virus. The vaccinated can't transmit the virus. And they told us there was no such thing as natural immunity. Think about this. Think about this. At the same time, Democrats require you to put on a mask, show your papers and an ID to get a Big Mac at McDonald's. They don't want, they want to allow the federal government to stop states from requiring a photo ID to vote. This is ridiculous. Well done. Genius rant for two minutes. Ladies and gentlemen, we're going to dig very deeply into this voting issue on Sunday on Life, Liberty, and Levin. Very, very deeply. I please, I hope you'll join us live. If not, DVR the program. I understand there's football on. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, America. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811, 877-381-3811. I wanted to bring this up because it's not getting enough attention, of course, and that's this. Over in Israel, the case against Benjamin Netanyahu is falling completely apart. They never really had a case. But it's falling completely apart. The top prosecution witnesses, as it turns out, have become the top witnesses for Benjamin Netanyahu. It's an amazing thing. An amazing thing. And a wonderful thing, in my view. And so let me read this to you from uh, the Jerusalem Post, which is not friendly to Netanyahu, by the way. It used to be a very great newspaper. Report, prosecutors close case 2000, Nick's Netanyahu bribery charge and plea deal. So let's go through this. State prosecutors are willing to massively reduce the charges against former Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu as sides discuss a possible uh, plea deal, Channel 12 in Israel reports. According to the network, the prosecution is willing to close one of the cases against Netanyahu, case 2000 which he was accused of attempting to reach a quid pro quo with a publisher uh, of a, a website, I guess, for positive media coverage, which was absurd to begin with. They're also willing to remove the bribery charge in Case 4000. Now, this was the most serious and the most preposterous. As you know, if you've listened to me here, you watched Fox, you watched Levin TV, I've shot holes through this whole damn thing. So have others. The most serious charge Netanyahu faced. In the case, he's alleged to have worked to illicitly and lucratively benefit the business interests of controlling shareholder of the Bizek Media Company in exchange for positive coverage on the Walla News site owned by Elovich. Now, the problem is, 
When the gentleman was asked to testify, he denied it completely. And an analysis was done by a nonprofit organization of the coverage that Netanyahu had actually received on that website, and it was mostly negative. The prosecution hadn't even looked. Mostly negative. And they're also reportedly willing to soften the charges in case 1,000 to remove allegations of fraud and leave only breach of trust charges. The network says the gaps between the sides are very narrow, with the central question being Netanyahu's future in politics, whether he will immediately quit the Knesset or do so after a verdict is given. It also says it's a distinct possibility a plea deal will be signed within days before Attorney General Mandebelt leaves office at the end of the month. It's not clear what they mean by him resigning from the Knesset, if that is a permanent situation or a temporary situation. I assume it's the latter, temporary. But the entire prosecution is falling apart. It's falling apart. And so rather than go through it further, they might cut a deal. Now this has been hanging over Netanyahu's head for years. This was used to try and destroy his government and his prime ministership for years. This was used to try and influence the elections for years. This was used to try and topple him from the head of Likud for years. And I look. Turns out to be a fraud and a joke. That's why I say you have to keep your powder dry and watch these cases as they proceed, whether you like the individuals involved or the groups involved or what have you. And in Israel, much like in the United States, so much of the judiciary is corrupt. They're ideological. They're hard left. They don't like Netanyahu, like so much of our judiciary doesn't like Trump. And so this is very important when this sort of thing can happen in a free country like the state of Israel and can happen in a free country like the United States because we become less free, don't we? See, the the Marxist left, whether it's the American Marxist left or the Israeli Marxist left or the French Marxist left, they have their own distinct characteristics. There's no question about that. But there's also broad similarities. They don't want to engage. They don't want to debate. Uh, They don't want to compete. They want to destroy. They want power and they want it centralized in their own hands because they're smarter, more righteous than everybody else. And this is a horrible infliction, an infliction that exists in relatively free countries that are becoming less free, like the United States of America. You have Bernie Sanders on CNN yesterday, who is a liar, who is an instigator, and who is a Marxist. And listen to what he has to say. Just listen to this about voting. Cut four, go. I'll tell you what is beneath one's office, and that is to have senators like McConnell Uh, apologists for Republican governors and legislatures all over this country who are with surgical precision 
trying to suppress the vote, coming up with extreme gerrymandering, working on legislation which will take away the rights of independent election officials and give them some partisan Republican majorities. You see how the Marxist works. And you see how the media work in hand with the Marxist. Republican governors and legislatures with surgical precision trying to suppress the vote. They're not suppressing anybody's vote. Where are all these people whose votes have been suppressed when people have it easier now than ever before to vote and more people are voting than ever before? Where is all this suppression occurring? Why are we dealing in ambiguous, broad statements and not specific facts? If he's right, then the evidence would be systemic. Systemic suppression of the vote. It would be everywhere. It would be hard to miss it. Now this is the problem they're having right now that I keep highlighting, and you're starting to hear backbenchers in politics and this business regurgitate it. And on one side of their mouth, they condemn the voting system. It's so bad. It reminds them of Jim Crow. It has to be totally and completely nationalized by the Democrat Party. On the other hand, if you raise specific questions about specific states and how laws were changed to clearly advantage Biden and the Democrat Party and changed in violation of the federal constitution by public officials who do not have the authority, you are said to be undermining democracy. And so typical of the Democrats, they're for the filibuster, then they're against the filibuster. The Foreign Independent Supreme Court, now they want to pack the Supreme Court. They're against illegal immigration because it affects their union friends. Now they're for illegal immigration because it increases numbers they hope in the future of voters. And you could go on and on. The ends justify the means. That's an old phrase and it's correct when it comes to these people. Go ahead. There is a massive effort right now, worst in modern American history, to undermine the very foundations of American democracy, and that's all built on the big lie that Trump really won the election in 2020. Oh, no, 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 no. It's built on the big lie that the vote is being suppressed. Tell me, Bernie Sanders, did George Bush win the election in 2000? Your party said he didn't. Did he win the election in 2004? Your party said he didn't. Did Donald Trump win the election in 2016? Well, I'll tell you what's funny. You were a senator from Vermont. You never stood up and told your party to stand down. You never stood up and defended the election of 2016. You never stood up and said, what's this Russia collusion crap? You never stood up and said, stop with the phony impeachments. Stop with the coups. You never stood up and said, we need to investigate what took place in the prior administration at the FBI and the intelligence agencies and at the FOIA court. You never stood up and said, what this Mueller investigation, this criminal investigation. You never stood up and said, crap. Not a damn thing. And now he says, the worst in modern history to undermine the very foundations of American democracy which is exactly what Bernie Sanders believes in. Did Bernie Sanders speak out against the riots in 2020? Not that I recall, certainly not in any significant way. No. It's Sanders and his ilk who are the enemy of liberty. 
who are the enemy of the Constitution, who are the enemy of real voting. Can any Democrat who's written this statute or vote or pushing it or voting for it, can they please tell me where are the examples of efforts to ensure that the vote is legitimate? That is, where are the protections in their proposed legislation to make sure fraud does not occur? There is none whatsoever. None. I'll be right back. Lovin. Over 2,000 of you, my listeners, made the switch from overpriced wireless carriers to Pure Talk over the past few months. We want the rest of you to join us and to see what we're talking about. If you're with AT&T and Verizon or T-Mobile, your family could save over $800 a year just by switching to Pure Talk. You get great coverage, you can keep your phone and your number, and you'll save a fortune. Pure Talk is the top-rated wireless company by Consumer Affairs with the absolute best consumer service team based right here in America. Does that sound good? Well, it gets better. Right now, get unlimited talk, text, and six gigs of data, just $30 a month. And if you go over on data, they don't charge you for it. They don't care. Go to puretalkusa.com. And enter promo code Levin Podcast. Again, puretalkusa.com, promo code Levin, L E V I N Podcast. And when you do, you'll save 50% off your first month. That's puretalkusa.com, promo code Levin Podcast. Pure Talk USA, simply smarter wireless. It's a pleasure to have. Senator Mike Lee with us from the great state of Utah, a serious man, a constitutionalist, to help us work through the Supreme Court's decision today. You know, Senator, you've been, I think, the loudest voice in the Senate challenging these mandates and the use of OSHA, of all things, to impose them on uh, on the private sector. And yet, uh, I think the Supreme Court decision was about half right. So I'd be curious to know what you thought of the Supreme Court's decision today. Well, I'm just glad they smacked down the OSHA ruling. Now, I I wish they had done the same thing with the CMS case, uh, the case dealing with Medicare and Medicaid contractors. That would have been better. Still, that case is ongoing. We don't know how that will turn out in the end. The right thing to do would have been to smack down both of them. But look, the OSHA opinion, this is a, a big victory. It's a big victory for the American people. It's a big victory for the American worker, 94, 84 million of whom were placed in jeopardy by this thing, including 500,000 workers in Utah. And it's a big win for the Constitution. Because look, the president's not a king. And his minions over at OSHA, they don't have the power to legislate. That power is given only to Congress. They legislated here, and they legislated in a most dastardly, immoral way telling the American people, if you don't defer to presidential medical orthodoxy, if you don't get an unwanted medical procedure, you're going to get fired, and you will lose your ability to put bread on your table for your families. Shame on all of them. Shame on all of them for doing that. And I'm glad the Supreme Court was willing to stand up to them, at least on this issue. Have you noticed, Senator, that the Biden administration has a very poor record in federal courts, and not because they're loaded with Trump appointees, but because they really do defy existing law and try and push the edge of the envelope beyond what's reasonable, don't they? Yes, yes, they, uh, because all they see is what they want, and then what they want, they take. 
regardless of whether there's any statutory or constitutional authority to do it. And regardless of the moral consequences of rendering, rendering a huge segment of the American population, law-abiding people, rendering them unemployed, unemployable pariahs. They just take. And this is wrong, and it's one of the reasons why I've gone to the Senate floor dozens of times and introduced over 15 bills to counteract these mandates. All Democrats blocked every one of those bills. I'm glad the Supreme Court finally decided to block the mandate today. And this is why they want to control the courts, right? This is why they want to pack the courts so uh, wherever you go in the federal government, they win. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's right. They want to pack the courts. And by the way, do you know what would become easier to do if they nuke the filibuster? Packing the court. Uh, they, they want to put themselves in a position where they could be the institutional party, where they never have to lose elections again. That's what this uh, voting bill that they're putting in is all about. They want to make sure that their people don't ever lose elections Again, and that's what Chuck Schumer effectively admitted that on national television yesterday. Once in a while, they pull back the mask. Once in a while, they let us know. And here's the thing, Senator, we can't win every election. So there will be times when maybe they have 54 senators in the Senate and have, you know, a 20 majority lead in the House. And um, they have the presidency. The mentality of this Democrat Party is utterly different than anything I've ever seen. It's a totalitarian thought process in many respects on how to change the system to ensure the outcome and uh this they're not playing within the constitutional box anymore are they no not playing within the constitutional box they see the constitution as a nuisance they forget about the fact that the constitution is there to protect the people they forget about the fact that the constitution is there to limit and restrict government power because every time government acts it does so at the expense of individual liberty and that that matters. And uh, that's why they resent it. They, they want power. And I, I wish this were not the case, but it is. It's time for all of us to wake up and realize the federal government has become way too powerful. We've, we've concentrated way too much power in the federal government relative to the power in the states where it's supposed to be more robust. And within the federal government, we've concentrated way too much of it in the executive branch, especially in the hands of unelected, unaccountable bureaucrats. What do you make of Joe Biden's speech the other day? That has to be one of the most horrendous speeches I've ever heard from a president. It was. It was disgraceful. To equate uh, defense of the Senate rules with Jim Crow, and to insist that you have to get your way or you're going to accuse your political opponents of racism is wrong. It, it does a grave disservice to all Americans. And it, it disrespects Americans who uh, went through the trials of Jim Crow policies for him to say that. It numbs the senses of the American people when he claims things that simply are not true, when he tells unabashed lies. It's not okay. I think we're in a very dangerous period here with him as president and Harris as vice president and Pelosi is the third in line here. I don't think any of them are qualified in terms of uh, what's between their ears or character or substance to be president of the United States in many, many respects. And um, this really is a low point, I think, in, uh, in our history right now. What do you think? I do think it's a low point. Uh, a low point that I don't think we've seen anything like this in quite a while. Or somebody who's supposed to be respectable, you know, a president of the United States, someone 
who uh, touted himself as a, as a kind, happy warrior, is willing to stoop to this level. What is he? Is he calling my friend and colleague Tim Scott a white supremacist? I, yes. I think that's actually what he's doing. He's painting with a very broad brush when he does that. And I, I don't think that's fair. In fact, I, th- I think that's a defamatory action. I think he's acted with reckless disregard for the truth in, in painting Republicans in the United States Senate the way he has. And look, the American people aren't dumb. The American people see through it. They see the fact that this is a man who's struggling, grasping at straws to protect his own power. It's wrong. Mike Lee, I want to thank you for everything you do. You were right on point on this uh, from day one. Keep up the fight, my friend. We'll give you air cover over here. And have a wonderful new year. Thank you. I encourage your listeners to go to LeeForSenate.com. That's right, LeeForSenate.com. This is a priority. Mike Lee's re-election is a priority here. LeeForSenate.com. The show the New York Times is afraid of. Mark Levin. Call him now at 877-381-3811. Have you ever heard of somebody named Michael Kazin? He's a professor at Georgetown University. He's co-editor of something called Dissent Magazine. A left-wing magazine that... uh, pretends to be an intellectual magazine. He writes for The Nation from time to time amongst other radical publications. Gets all kinds of awards, as you might expect. The Guggenheim Foundation, Institute for Advanced Study, National Endowment for the Humanities, Fulbright Scholar. He's gotten it all. So he writes a piece in The Nation. The World According to Mark Levin by... Michael Kazin, and the title is Haters. And this is supposed to be a review of my book. The only problem is, ladies and gentlemen, it's complete lack of substance and engagement on the substance of the book. Two of his criticisms here, he basically steals from other lightweights and intellectual uh, bottom feeders. Uh, The use of the word Franklin rather than Frankfurt, which was corrected a long time ago. And he says, there's way too much quoting of original sources in the book. So he's a slow reader in my view, a very slow reader, a very reader who doesn't comprehend very much. We've talked about this at length. We have to quote people who we're unfamiliar with, many of us, many of you. And we have to quote what they're saying so you can understand who it is who's doing what. And this bothers Michael Kazin. As I say, he's a professor at Georgetown. But then I looked a little bit deeper. When he went to Harvard, he was a leader in the Students for a Democratic Society, the SDS, the radical new left movement. He's a member of Democratic Socialists of America. As I understand it, he's still a member of Democratic Socialists of America. And of course, he's a tenured professor. He is the quintessential 
case of what I talk about in the book, the quintessential case of what I talk about in the book. His review is superficial, it's pedantic, it's ignorant. And again, he doesn't jump in and engage. He just makes general statements and he's dismissive. And this is the level of really not just intellectual dishonesty, but a lack of intellectualism that exists in our college campuses today. So you have basically a radical left-wing hack who has spent a great deal of his life trashing the country and pushing these, these various Marxist movements. Uh, he's not a particularly good read, writer. I've looked in his past. He's not, you know, considering he does this for a living, I certainly wouldn't consider him among the more intelligent professors and so forth. And so here we are. So he's basically dismissive. Here's a new book out, What It Took to Win a History of the Democratic Party. It's going to be published in March, they say. I don't know if anybody reads his books. And this review, honestly, could have been written by a 12th grader angry at the world, pretty much. What's amazing to me is, is the lack of, of comprehension by Professor Michael Kazin of Marx and Marxism. And his denial of its application to so many aspects of our culture. This is why I would argue he's troubled by my references to it in the book and my application to current affairs. Now, Michael Kazin is welcome to come on this program anytime he wants, and I will go through his writings and he can discuss mine, hopefully a little bit more in depth. Because pseudo-intellectuals like Michael Kazin populate our colleges and universities all over this country and they manage to get tenure. Now here he is writing for the nation. That reveals a great deal in and of itself. The nation. A crap magazine of the hard left. Of America haters. I had not seen this. This was sent to me. As most of these, these things are. He's written reviews and articles for such periodicals as the New York Times, the Washington Post, the New York Review of Books, the New Republic, and the Nation. You would think with all that writing and all that practice, he could do better. But apparently, he can't. He can't. He's authored books called The San Francisco Building Trades in Union Power in the Progressive Era, The Populist Persuasion in American History. Biography of William Jennings Bryan, no doubt he's, he loves the guy. In fact, the title is A Godly Hero, The Life of William Brennan, Jennings Bryan. Surprise, surprise. He's co-author of a book, American Divided, The Civil War of the 1960s. It's in its sixth edition. He's written a book called American Dreamers, How the Left Changed a Nation. And War Against War, The American Fight for Peace, 1914 and 1918. So he embraces Woodrow Wilson. He embraces all the usual elements of the radical left. All the usual. I'm happy to debate the man. But I have to see if he's up to our standards first, don't I, Mr. Producer? I think he's a little slow. 
just my opinion. Just my opinion. He he deals in, you know, empty phrases, empty attacks. He clearly doesn't understand his audience. And I would argue, and this would be the interesting part of any debate, that he really doesn't even understand Karl Marx. But he does understand the new left movement, of which he was a part, which did great damage to this country. And these are the types of professors that are tenured throughout academia, and you spend a fortune to send your kids, those of you who do, to Georgetown University, where they hear pablum like this, this guy. I should... Let's see here. Maybe I'll read a paragraph or two. Uh, First paragraph is so utterly nonsensical. Mark R. Levin's American Marxism, a polemic against all manner of progressive ideas and movements, may rival its predecessors in popularity. He's talking about Hayek and Mises and Goldwater and Reagan and Thatcher and so forth. That's what he says. Published this past summer, it spent weeks perched at or near the top of the bestseller list. But American Marxism represents a distinct dumbing down of the kind of book-length attacks on the left that have appeared over the past century. Hayek and Bloom produced rigorous critiques of the liberal ideology, left policies they abhorred, which they required them to take the time to learn about them. Now, I've read a lot of Hayek, and I've certainly read Bloom's greatest book, The Closing of the American Mind. This guy has no idea what he's talking about. Levin just slaps the label of Marxism on the various political phenomena he detests, from critical race theory and genderism to environmental justice, teachers' unions, and the bias of the liberal media. No, he doesn't just slap the title of Marxism on them. Now, we've talked about critical race theory. This book is heavily researched. I've got endnotes that even this very lazy professor could check slapping titles why is he running for Marxism he's a democratic socialist he's a new left movement guy he also accuses the democratic party of embracing these ideas and institutions and quote adopting Marx's language of class warfare unquote in order to put its own quote interests before those of the country unquote thereby destroying what makes or made in his view America so great so far he hasn't said anything has he Rich American Marxism is a virtual digest of familiar attacks on all the favorite targets of the contemporary right. No, it's not. No, it's not. Critical race theory? We delved into critical race theory in a very different way. But how would he know? And it suggests the depths of the right's commitment to depicting its opponents not just as wrongheaded, but as sworn enemies of the nation itself. Well, ladies and gentlemen, Those who advance critical race theory are sworn enemies of the country. Those who advance radical climate change and seek to destroy our system are exactly that. Right, so of course liberals and leftists revile conservatives too, but most of us refrain from accusing the entire Republican Party of harboring treasonous thoughts or wanting to overthrow the Republic, the January 6th insurrectionists notwithstanding. Oh, clever. I guess... He should look forward at Joe Biden's speech the other day and see if he still believes that. But he does. He's an ideologue. 
skip around here. When it comes to the old Rhinelander himself, Levin appears to be no genuine, uh, have no genuine understanding of what Marx wrote and believed. How else could he accuse the degrowth movement, a rather obscure group of climate activists who supposedly long for a pre-industrialized environment where progress comes to an end, of being enthralled to a theorist who viewed capitalism as a necessary stage in economic development? A necessary stage in economic development. So Marx was a capitalist, or at least a part-time capitalist. Is that it? I told you, he doesn't understand Marxism. The degrowth movement wants to destroy capitalism. I don't even know if he read my book. The degrowth movement wants to destroy capitalism. The climate change movement, I don't mean the poor suckers out there. I mean those who lead this movement want to destroy capitalism. Listen to what Bernie Sanders says. Marx, after all, was a pointed critic of the utopian socialists of his own time. I wrote that myself in Ameritopia. I wrote that myself. Who endeavored, he and Engels wrote, quote, by small experiments on the land necessarily doomed to failure to pave the way for the new social gospel. What Marx condemned was socialism. Or halfway Marxism. Because he said they were doomed to fail. Doomed to fail. Mao understood this. Stalin understood this. That's why they slaughtered tens of millions of people. Castro understood this. But Mr. Kazin, who poses as an expert, apparently does not. But then we get this. To expect Levin to wrestle as seriously with Marx as Bloom grappled with Nitsky or Hayek with Harold Lasky, and other social democrats would be a mistake. Today's neoconservative men and women of ideas. Folks, I specifically say in this book, I'm not going to deal with Marx again, since I've dealt with him in two prior books. In two prior books. But Kazin is lazy. He's a professor. He's using the having research assistants, I'm sure, and ghost supporters and helpers. We've spent a lot of time on Marx and rediscovering Americanism and Ameritopia in particular. Mr. Kazin wants to go back and read those, he should. Otherwise, he's revealed himself to be unworthy of professorship, let alone tenure, and to be a very lazy, intellectually buffoonish, hardcore ideologue. Which is why I guess he gets these awards. I can't think of any other reason. I'll be right back. Lovin. Over 2,000 of you, my listeners, made the switch from overpriced wireless carriers to pure talk over the past few months. We want the rest of you to join us and to see what we're talking about. If you're with AT&T and Verizon or T-Mobile, your family could save over $800 a year just by switching to Pure Talk. You get great coverage, you can keep your phone and your number, and you'll save a fortune. Pure Talk is the top-rated wireless company by Consumer Affairs, with the absolute best consumer service team, based right here in America. Does that sound good? Well, it gets better. Right now, get unlimited talk, text, and six gigs of data, just $30 a month. And if you go over on data, they don't charge you for it. They don't care. 
Go to puretalkusa.com and enter promo code Levin Podcast. Again, puretalkusa.com, promo code Levin, L-E-V-I-N Podcast. And when you do, you'll save 50% off your first month. That's puretalkusa.com, promo code Levin Podcast. Pure Talk USA, simply smarter wireless. You know, folks, the reason I take on people like this is because they think they're better than you. They think they're smarter than you, and they want to rule over you. This is what we deal with in universities and colleges, media. I'm happy to take this guy on. Toe-to-toe, nose-to-nose. I'm happy to do it. And he's not alone. Happy to take on... Various politicians, they won't come on the program, even Republicans. This guy, Michael Rounds, is a tough guy, you know. He'll go on ABC News and others who want to hear what he has to say. But he won't say it here to 14 million people listening, many of whom, most of whom are patriotic conservatives, many of whom are his constituencies who voted for him. He doesn't want that. See, the Democrat Party base is the Democrat Party. The Republican base is hated by the Republican Party. And we'll discuss this a little bit further in the next hour. There's a great piece in The Federalist by Molly Hemingway. Republicans all guard out of touch with their voters on election integrity, and God knows they are. God knows they are. Michael Rounds doesn't want to discuss with me or debate with me the federal constitution and the changes that were made in state after state after state in violation of that constitution. He says that was fair. Okay, then he's not a constitutionalist. He doesn't believe in the oath that he took when he put one hand on the Bible and the other in the air and swore an oath to follow the constitution. He clearly doesn't believe it. He says we looked very, very carefully at allegations of fraud. Well, how do you overlook the Constitution? And the Supreme Court backs me. In 2000, the Supreme Court stepped in, stopped the Florida Supreme Court, which they were asked to do in Pennsylvania with the rogue Pennsylvania court, which did not receive the attention it deserved because it was Donald Trump, not George Bush. And the Republican Party was loud about that, but they said almost nothing when it was done to George Bush. We know this was done. The Democrats have bragged about it. They were involved in it. I'll be right back. Ladies and gentlemen, this final hour of the podcast is sponsored exclusively by AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens. Now over 2 million conservative members strong, AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we care about, faith, family, and freedom. Thank you for listening, and please support AMAC. And you can become a member at amac.us slash join. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, America. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877 
Speaking of professors and colleges and universities, the College Fix, which is an outstanding organization with an outstanding website, University of Tennessee to launch CRT Center require professors to commit to DEI for tenure. I said, DEI? Do they mean DUI? Christian Schneider writing. Listen to this. A slate of diversity plans filed by individual schools within the University of Tennessee, Knoxville, will require some professors to commit to diversity, equity, and inclusion. DEI. Those practices to gain tenure, create a new critical race center on campus, a new critical race center on campus, and embed diversity-based curricula throughout the university according to plans obtained by the College Fix. The College Fix obtained the plans from 20 different academic departments and administrative divisions, which together totaled 322 new pages of diversity regulations, Requirements and goals to improve equity on campus. The plan submitted by the Division of Diversity and Engagement, the Division of Diversity and Engagement, vows to partner with the Critical Race Collective to create a center to, quote, enhance research and scholarship capacity in this area of study and identify current racist policies and practices on campus, unquote. Isn't it amazing? how um, racism and bigotry and segregation have all received this kind of academic veneer. Isn't that amazing? Now, Tennessee, last time I checked, is an overwhelmingly Republican state with a Republican state legislature and a Republican governor. So why are they going to tolerate this? The College of Law submitted an expansive plan, including provisions to create bylaws, quote, that require a commitment to diversity for faculty tenure and advancement. The law school also plans to embed diversity and inclusion, quote, throughout the existing curriculum by spring of 2022, as well as launch a biased reporting system separate from the one maintained by the school. It will also create a certificate program in diversity and inclusion within the college. Isn't this amazing? Amazing. Diversity work as a condition of advancement and tenure status for professors was also included in a plan submitted by the School of Engineering and School of Social Work. Fantastic, huh? Terry Gardner, Assistant Director of News and Information for UT Knoxville told the college fix via email, the public institution, quote, is committed to attracting and retaining a diverse student body, faculty, and staff by creating a welcoming campus where all people can be successful, feel like they have found a place to belong, learn from each other, and express themselves. This sounds like a massive gestalt session gone wrong, doesn't it? To fulfill that commitment in the fall 2020, each college and vice chancellor unit created plans to tell it their their specific areas. These are living documents that provide clarity and transparency with respect to the university's diversity efforts. The plans will be updated over time as needed and change 
as necessary, we evaluate the effectiveness of our efforts. Sounds like they're turning it into a hellish institution. Garner said the diversity plan project is consistent with the UD Board of Trustees diversity statement of October 2020. Now notice there'll be no diversity in terms of politics or philosophy. Physical diversity. Genitalia diversity. What you do with your genitalia diversity. And I wonder if diversity includes caucasoids. What do you think, Mr. Producer? I mean, caucasoids come from different backgrounds and places, don't they? Or all caucasoids alike. While each diversity action plan is required to set a number of specific goals and a deadline for achieving those goals, each department's plans differ. Of course, they need diversity. We will identify all current classes in which race and racism are principal focuses and work with faculty, senate, and undergraduate council to highlight or require those classes in core reads the diverse. These are really like, uh, like Marxist programming and indoctrination, isn't it? It's truly unbelievable. Truly unbelievable that the greatest country on the face of the earth has has turned into this. The Division of Student Life Diversity Action Plan includes a goal of requiring 100% of courses to provide evidence of learning activities relevant to the outcome related to social justice and inclusion. 100%. The School of Social Work proposed increasing scholarships for students who plan to enter professions, promoting social justice and anti-racism. So we have a whole industry building up. The College of Arts and Sciences Uh, committed to look for an increase in courses that recognize that race, gender, identity, sexual orientation, and ethnicity, culture are commonly intersectional identities among many that individuals might have. So you have this Professor Michael Kazin. He calls everything Marxism. He doesn't even know what he's writing about. The damn fool, this is exactly what's going on, exactly what I wrote about. Nonetheless, individual departments and divisions still manage to propose unique problems to solving racism and equality on campus. For instance, the UT Knoxville Office of Advancement proposed removing the names of potential job candidates from resumes and cover letters when initially shared with search committees in an effort to eliminate discriminatory hiring practices. Oh, I see. Yitzhak Goldberg. Mohammed Mohammed. Frank Smith. Why don't you just look at the records and the substance? Don't worry about the names and the race and all the rest. Oh, we can't do that. We have this dominant society that we have to deal with. The College of Nursing proposed to increase awareness of cultural competence through the consideration of a policy for recognition of non-Judeo-Christian holidays. But the most unique proposal came from the Haslam Business School, which consider programs to attract more military students as diversity. The school suggested implementing a military visit day, enhancing promotion of current military students when the college had been. Wow, what happened? I'm sure they'll want to squelch that or at least squeeze it when it comes to funding. I would think. University of Tennessee, Knoxville, a huge university. Look who's in charge and look what they're doing. It's truly appalling, is it not? 
Now, the quote Pasaki, I want to circle back, as opposed to circling front. I mentioned Molly Hemingway in The Federalist, the GOP's old guard out of touch with their voters on election integrity. And she says, in part, President Biden gave a speech asserting that people who oppose his plan for a federal takeover elections are domestic enemies and racists. He said, do you want to be on the side of John Lewis or Bull Connor? Do you want to be on the side of Abraham Lincoln or Jefferson Davis? This is pretty sick stuff. That's actually very sick stuff. And the Democrats thought this was an absolutely fantastic, if not incredibly brilliant speech. They did. Fantastic, if not brilliant. Nancy Pelosi was out there praising the entire damn thing. She said he was right on, Joe Biden, but she always does because she's a nut too. In fact, here she is uh, at a press conference today. Cut eight, go. No, I stand with the president. I think that I, I thought his speech was wonderful, and I stand with him. Ah, in the shut pro- up, you idiot. You pathetic. Now, you idiot. That's good enough for now. You idiot. That's, that's good enough for now. Let me go on with Molly Hemingway. The election bill would unconstitutionally, of course, um, empower the federal government to control state election procedures, to help make permanent the decreased election safeguards that caused so many problems throughout the country in 2020. Mike Rounds, oh, it was a very fair election. Shut up, you dummy. She says the response of the old guard of the Republican Party this week has been to wholeheartedly endorse the media narrative that the 2020 election had no significant problems while also opposing Biden's plan to run elections. It's a politically insane approach. She says the 2020 election was riddled with problems. Voters know this. Republican voters know this well. Time magazine described what happened with the election as, quote, a well-funded cabal of powerful people ranging across industries and ideologies, working together behind the scenes to influence perceptions, change rules and laws, steer media coverage, and control the flow of information. They added it was a revolution on how people vote. I guess Rounds didn't read that. The reading's fundamental, Senator. The rigging of the election included changes to hundreds of laws and processes in the months prior to the election day, flooding the system with tens of millions of mail-in ballots, even as scrutiny of those ballots was decreased. Mark Zuckerberg spent $419 million, almost half a billion, to finance the private takeover of government election offices, primarily focused on the blue areas of swing states, to enable Democrats to run their get-out-the-vote operations from government offices. The funding was significant enough to affect the outcome of races, independent analysts have concluded. But Senator Rounds, well, he thought it was fair. And that's to say nothing of big tech's election meddling in the form of censorship, algorithmic persuasion, nor of corporate media's move into straight-up propaganda. And she points out on Sunday, Stephanopoulos, formerly Clinton's press secretary, asked in his usual biased way for Republican Mike Rounds to opine against election integrity. Which he was happy to do. Even the dumbest Republican should have been able to answer this question without accepting the premise of the biased Democrat reporter. What did he ask? You voted to certify the election last year. You condemned the protest as an insurrection. What do you say to all those Republicans, all those veterans who believe the election was stolen, who have bought the falsehoods coming from former President Trump? Well, the dim-witted rounds didn't know how to respond. 
Knowing that the filibuster and election integrity are on the line, even a lowly distracted Republican precinct person should have been able to respond by talking about fighting the federal takeover elections, fighting the private takeover of government election offices, fighting the unconstitutional changes of voting laws, and fighting the second-class treatment of Republican voters by the media and big tech. Instead, Senator Rounds made bizarre claims about looking at accusations in multiple states, saying that while there were some irregularities, none were significant. Then he claimed ludicrously, the election was fair, as fair as we have seen. Of course, he's Helen Keller, so what does he know? (coughs) He says, I mean, heck, if the election was as fair as any in history, why not join with Democrats in their push for a federal takeover of elections to make permanent the revolution in how people vote? But also, why say something that's not true? We are burdened with dumb politicians like Mike Rounds. Burdened. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens, is one of the fastest growing organizations in America. Now over 2 million conservative members strong, and I'm one of them. AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we constitutional conservatives care about. More than talk, AMAC fights. A full-time presence in Washington, AMAC pushes back against reckless spending, disasters like Medicare for All, and the expanding reach of the federal government. And beyond advocacy, joining AMAC gives you access to a wealth of benefits and discounts, including special member-only rates on car insurance, travel discounts, cell phone plans, and a hell of a lot more. And if that's not enough, you'll get AMAC's bi-monthly magazine full of insightful articles on issues that matter to most of us, we conservatives. As I said, I'm an AMAC member, and you should be too. Join today at amac.us. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S. Stop supporting the liberal agenda that the other 50-plus organization has been pushing for. Join AMAC instead. A-M-A-C dot U-S. Take a call or two or three. Let's check it out. Let us go to Lance Whitefish, Montana, the great dub, uh, KJJR. How are you? Lance? Are you there, Lance? Ah, uh, let's try Kathy. Phoenix, Arizona, XM Satellite. How are you, Kathy? I'm great. How are you, Mark? Very well. Thank you. As a project manager in construction, I'm very happy about the Supreme Court OSHA decision. Mm-hmm. Not so great for my husband. He's a pediatrician. 50% of his practice are Medicare patients. Mm-hmm. There's no liberty. And this is Marxism at its finest. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm very concerned for him. He's been fully vaxxed and had breakthrough COVID. And uh, I know a number of people have had reactions. So I'm very concerned for our healthcare professionals. And you should be. And they're treated like dogs. I mean, these are the people who were on the front line for so long when there were no vaccines or therapeutics. I think the Supreme Court decision was absurd with respect to healthcare professionals. I'm glad about the other half, but uh, Kavanaugh and the Chief Justice make no sense when they flip sides. They're highly political. And uh, I thought the, the four, uh, obviously, as usual, made a hell of a lot of sense. I mean, The federal government has no authority to do this. Congress did not provide statutory authority to the executive branch. 
has nothing to do with Medicaid or Medicare or anything of the sort. They do not have the power to do this. Now, you have people talking about a case, I believe, with Jacobson at the beginning of the last century. That was a case in which the Supreme Court ruled, and by the way, the Supreme Court is not filled with godlike figures, but the Supreme Court ruled uh, that states, states, states have the power to mandate, in this case, vaccines. We had some uh, slip and fall uh, ambulance chasing lawyers who kept trying to project that onto the federal government's authority. I know of no other case where the federal government has the authority to mandate vaccines in states. I can't think of a single one, not one, let alone through OSHA in this case, but Medicare or Medicaid, regardless. I mean, your, your husband's required to take Medicare, is he not? Yes. He's required to take he it. So they hook them into this. They're required to take Medicare. They don't make most of their money off Medicare. They make most of their money off of uh, non-Medicare patients, to be perfectly blunt about, non-Medicaid patients. Medicare is a loser for most doctors in hospitals, whether people want to hear it or not. And the problem is now, now they're using the Iron Fist of government as a hook by saying, okay, well, you take Medicare monies, therefore. Well, they take it because they have to. And they keep reducing the payouts. And, um, you know, they're basically working for, for cost with mm-hmm. those patients. And, uh, you know, we do have a, 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 a certain poor population in this in, that he feels obligated to, but uh, not obligated to work for free. No. Uh, and uh, even that aside, that should not hook him into being forced to uh, comply with this mandate. It's just ridiculous. But look, we have a, a collapse here. I mean, the Supreme Court, uh, they'll give a one hand to uh, John Roberts and more and more Kavanaugh. These are politicians. That's what they are. They're politicians. I was never thrilled with Kavanaugh, as anybody listening to this program knows, and I've been trying to expose the Chief Justice now for a very, very long time. I am told, and I'm not 100% sure of this, Kathy, but that the Roberts are good friends with, uh, with the Freedmans. That is Thomas Friedman, the columnist for the New York Slimes. Yeah. And that would explain a lot because, you know, they all go to the Kennedy Center. They enjoy watching the opera and the ballet and, and all this other stuff together. So the social influences are real. They're real. Anyway, good luck to you. I uh, appreciate your call in Arizona, and I'll be right back. AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens, is one of the fastest-growing organizations in America. Now over 2 million conservative members strong, and I'm one of them. AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we constitutional conservatives care about. More than talk, AMAC fights. A full-time presence in Washington, AMAC pushes back against reckless spending, disasters like Medicare for All, and the expanding reach of the federal government. And beyond advocacy, joining AMAC gives you access to a wealth of benefits and discounts, including special member-only rates on car insurance, travel discounts, cell phone plans, and a hell of a lot more. And if that's not enough, you'll get AMAC's bi-monthly magazine full of insightful articles on issues that matter to most of us, we conservatives. As I said, I'm an AMAC member, and you should be too. Join today at amac.us. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S. Stop supporting the liberal agenda that the other 50-plus organization has been pushing for. Join AMAC instead. A-M-A-C dot U-S. 
Mark Levin, a champion of freedom. You know, you're one of the greatest champions of freedom in this country, if not in the English-speaking world, Mark. Call Mark at 877-381-3811. I've been meaning to get to this. You know, uh, Michelle Obama's treated like a godlike figure, like a queen. You're not allowed to criticize her. Because after all, she was such a fantastic first lady. What did she do? I don't have the foggiest idea. Whatever happened to that organic garden in the backyard of the White House? Remember that, Mr. Producer? She had a bowl of apples there, and one of the 60 Minutes guys says, and look at this, a bowl of apples. What an idiot. Like she was growing apples in the backyard of the uh, White House. But this is the kind of coverage Democrats get. You know, Joe Biden getting an ice cream cone. And then shoving it in his right ear because he forgets it goes in his mouth. Oh, yeah. Michelle Obama is known for exactly nothing. Nothing. But she's quite the radical. And she's more than happy to say so. And her good dear friend George W. Bush, well, he's very happy about that. Former First Lady Michelle Obama, writes The Hill, has launched a push to get one million people newly registered to vote ahead of the 2022 midterm elections. She's a uniter. In a statement on Sunday, Obama said her foundation, When We All Vote, along with 30 other organizations, will recruit and train at least 100,000 volunteers to register voters. She means 100,000 radicals to register Democrats. Why don't they say it the right way? What's the truth? Among other groups involved in the effort, the League of Women Voters. Why are they allowed to use that word women, Mr. Producer? Shouldn't they say the League of, what is it, birthing people voters? The National Bar Association that represents pubs and bars all over the country. The NAACP. Rock the vote. Common cause, which has no common cause with me. And the Voto Latino Foundation. The groups also aim to activate 100,000 people to contact senators about passing voting rights legislation. It's not voting rights legislation. The guy who wrote this is called Alaf Imihan Ashin. I kid you not. I'm doing the best I can. Alaf Imihan Ashin. Well, Alaf Imihan Ashin needs to stop writing as a leftist. Senator, they're voting right. This isn't voting rights legislation. It's Democrat Party and Power Forever legislation. And they want to recruit thousands of lawyers. Imagine that, protecting voting rights in the states where the freedom to vote is threatened. In other words, Mark Elias and scores of slip and fall, ambulance chasing, left wing lawyers. This is what I don't understand about guys like Mike Rounds. The election, uh, best as I can tell, was fair. Uh, I think it was fair. The election seemed fair to me. Here they are, the Democrats, in, 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 in the light of day, in front of your face, changing the laws unconstitutionally. And this dummy, I think the election was fair. I think so. I represent the people in South Dakota, and that's what we think. Obama called out Republican-led states, including Georgia, Texas, and Florida that have passed, listen to how this is written, restrictive election bills, making it harder for citizens to vote. This kind of voter suppression is not new, she said. Generations of Americans have persevered through poll tax. Do you believe this crap? 
this unadulterated crap that they play in and they promote and the media promote. It's so hard to vote, ladies and gentlemen. Will they show us the millions of people who are prevented from voting? Just show us. Where are they? Who are they? Raise your hands. You can bring a federal cause of action under the 1965 Civil Rights Act. They call it the Voting Rights Act. Where are all these people? They're nowhere because it's bullcrap. It's bullcrap. See, we live to serve, not the country, but the Democrat Party. It's their agenda. If they want to change the voting system unconstitutionally, so they can't lose, that's voting rights. And if you oppose it, you're obviously a racist. Something wrong with you. All you repubics, you're racists. All of you. Because you don't agree with the Democrats, who of course have a long, sad history of racism. That's the way it works. So Michelle's out there with other radical kook groups. She wants a million people registered. Now you notice our first ladies don't do that. Cheney, excuse me, uh, Bush. They're not out there registering conservatives and Republicans. No, 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 no field is left open. Obama's out there, a political hack if there ever was one. Where's George W. Bush? He's trashing Republicans. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Just fantastic. Where's uh, the Cape Mayorka? Chris Christie. Bouncing from network to network to sell 2,300 books. But I told you, the truth is he likes going to the green room for the free donuts. Is he out there trashing what the Democrats are doing? I haven't heard a word. Have you? I haven't heard a word. Where's Pothead? Where's Boehner? Is he out there? No. Where are all these people? Oh, well. Civil suits against Donald Trump seek damages for January 6th attacks. So this is how they function. Let's just keep pounding away, pounding away. Let's bring civil lawsuits against Donald Trump, even though there's no evidence he had anything to do with anything, even though he's immune as the former president of the United States for his official duties. But let's bring the suits anyway. Let's clog up the courts. Let's run up his legal fees. Let's do it anyway. And besides, there may be a schmuck judge out there somewhere, maybe more than one, who will take up the case. You never know. There are a lot of them, you know, particularly in New York and Washington, D.C. Particularly New York and Washington, D.C. Now, they want, uh, they want Kevin McCarthy to provide information to the January 6th Pelosi-Stalinist Committee. He told them to screw off, which is a perfectly legitimate response. Or he could have said, I'll tell you what, after Nancy Pelosi gives sworn testimony under penalty of perjury, after she provides her texts and emails, after you allow us to appoint a few actual Republicans to the committee, sure. But that's not what they're doing. Is it, ladies and gentlemen? Here's Kevin McCarthy at a press conference today. Cut 19. Go. You have a unique window into the president on that day, January 6th. So here you have a phony reporter who is a mouthpiece for Nancy Pelosi and the American Marxists and the Democrats. 
You know, you have a unique open window here to to voluntarily submit yourself to this committee. They won't leak your texts. They won't leak your emails. They won't trash you like they've already done. No, 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 no. Says the press. Go ahead. Few people who spoke to him that way. Doesn't the American public have a right to know what the president of the United States was thinking and doing? So this is now all about Trump. And you can tell from the question. You have a unique window. You spoke to President Trump that day. Don't we have a right to know what President Trump said that day? We don't have a right to know anything that Biden says or does. Ever. And so this is an investigation aimed at destroying Donald Trump again. The man is nine lives, maybe more. So it's not a serious investigation. She, he, the reporter knows it, too. Go ahead. The U.S. Capitol was under attack. You know, that's a great question. You know the great thing about that? I didn't wait a year later. On January 6th, I spoke to the American public. Not by one network, but by many networks. My conversation was very short. Advising the president of what was happening here. There is nothing that I can provide the January 6th committee for legislation of their moving forward. There is nothing in that realm. It is pure politics of what they're playing. And everyone knows it, but they play along. But Nancy Pelosi insists. Nancy Pelosi, who was in fact responsible for protecting the Capitol building, dereliction of duty, Her hatred for the cops, her hatred for the military, her hatred for law and order, her embrace of radicalism. She was asked this today. Cut 20, go. Uh, Leader McCarthy says he will not comply with the January 6th Select Committee. Does he have an obligation to cooperate, and should he be subpoenaed if he refuses? What kind of a question is this from a so-called reporter? Is this not shocking? Shouldn't the reporter say, Madam Pelosi, don't you have an obligation to the American people to reveal exactly what you did in the days leading up to it and the day of January 6th? Don't you have an obligation to volunteer your testimony? <clears throat> don't you have an obligation to provide your texts and your emails to the committee and to explain to the American people what you did in that 72-hour period? Don't you? Don't you? They didn't ask McCarthy about Pelosi, did they? But they asked Pelosi about McCarthy, setting it up. What in the world could she possibly have said? Go. To continue to comply. Yes, I think he has an obligation as we seek the truth to help with that. But up to the committee as to what they do next. I, I, um, I see what you see. I mean, they make their decisions. They come forward. And I'm not prepared to say what they do next but they'll be telling us well half coherent the first half but I'd love to know who that reporter was I would love to know because don't they expose themselves every single time I'll be right back Mark AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens, is one of the fastest growing organizations in America. Now over 2 million conservative members strong, 
And I'm one of them. AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we constitutional conservatives care about. More than talk, AMAC fights. A full-time presence in Washington, AMAC pushes back against reckless spending, disasters like Medicare for All, and the expanding reach of the federal government. And beyond advocacy, joining AMAC gives you access to a wealth of benefits and discounts, including special member-only rates on car insurance, travel discounts, cell phone plans, and a hell of a lot more. And if that's not enough, you'll get AMAC's bi-monthly magazine full of insightful articles on issues that matter to most of us, we conservatives. As I said, I'm an AMAC member, and you should be too. Join today at amac.us. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S. Stop supporting the liberal agenda that the other 50-plus organization has been pushing for. Join AMAC instead. A-M-A-C dot U-S. Polk, Iowa, XM Satellite. Kim, how are you? Oh, yes. Hi, I'm fine. This is Kieran. And, yes, uh, first of all, Mark wanted to say thank you for being such a fabulous patriot. We need more people like you. And your American Marxism book was a wonderful gift for our Democrat family members who need to be enlightened. So thank you very much. Well, uh-huh. thank you very much. My question? Yeah, you're fabulous. We we love you. And um, Thank you. my question is, how do the Democrats claim voter uh, uh, suppression when there was supposedly a record number of turnout in the last election, in the 2020 election, and 81, supposedly 81 million votes for Joe Biden, and then a record number of votes with 71 And million. how come only Democrats are suppressed? Have you noticed that, too? Uh, because they're liars. They lie about everything, and the media lie about everything with them. Just remember, Biden said that he would uh, destroy the virus. He's a liar. Biden said the border wasn't open. He's a liar. Biden said he wouldn't leave citizens back in Afghanistan. He's a liar. Biden said the Afghanistan government wouldn't fall, even though he knew it would, because their leader said it would. He's a liar. Biden lies all the time. He said that Trump was responsible for every death that occurred on, in COVID. He's a liar. He said that he, uh, he was arrested marching for uh, Mandela in South Africa. He's a liar. He said he was arrested during the Civil Rights Movement in the South. I forget if it was Alabama or Mississippi. He's a liar. It never happened. That's the problem. And the Democrats are no better. The Democrats have to lie. Because what they promise is impossible. Is impossible. Look at their record. Massive inflation, food shelves empty, gasoline prices through the roof. We have a supply chain that's not working. We've never had that in this country under any circumstance, including the Civil War and other pandemics. We have a disastrous immigration uh, system now where illegal aliens of all kinds, two million, have poured into the country. We don't know who they are, but we do know enough to know that many are dangerous and many have diseases and so forth. What else can I say? Murder's going through the roof because they hate the cops. Our enemies are, are positioning themselves to outmaneuver us militarily and geographically. I mean, is anything going right in this country as a result of Joe Biden and the Democrats in power? The answer is no. Not at all. Well, Not at all. It's incredibly frustrating. Yes, and, it is. Um, and then you see... You see the likes of Kamala Harris who can't even, uh, she can just speak in word salads and... 
can't formulate any sort of response. Um, just, it's, I, I, I'm concerned about our future. My friend, I have to go. You sound like a lovely lady. Thanks so much for your outstanding call. Ladies and gentlemen, we salute our armed forces, police officers, firefighters, and emergency personnel. I want to thank you for listening to the program, and I will see you right here, same time, same place, tomorrow. God bless you.